Welcome back to Thinking Caps. In this episode, we are meeting Andrea from the Silver Bullet Group. They are a cheated digital partner over in the UK. And what does Silver Bullet do? Well, they are a hybrid of data services. They use insight-informed content. They get into your programmatic. They really get into your MarTech stack, including a CDP, DMP world. And they have an always-on consumer-centric approach to marketing that's really underpinned by intelligence and their expertise. So these guys are the best in breed of what they do. They can help you from beginning to end. We're gonna talk today a lot about data privacy. We're going to talk about the third party cookie and why you absolutely have to be collecting zero and first party data moving forward. We talk a lot about the sea of confusion around CDPs, EDPs, DMPs, etc. They break it down and Andrea really has a great perspective on what the future looks like for your brand and what kind of data you're going to need going into it. So without further ado, let's get it started. This is another episode of Thinky Caps. Let's dig in. So, Andrea, thank you very much, obviously, for, for joining. And I wanted to, to kick off uh, with a first question to set the scene, basically. Mm. So could you give us and the audience your elevator pitch for Silver Bullet, who you are, what you do? Yeah, definitely. Happy to do that, guys. So Silver Bullet is essentially a data-smart marketing services company. Uh, so our role, essentially, is to be a... Uh, a, services, a service layer, a new generation service layer for marketers to sort of navigate through the, the cookie-less uh, future, really. So the company was um, uh, funded just over four years ago by two ex-Oracle um, employees, uh, who were actually pivotal in launching the DMP in the, in the MIA market at the time. And they really realized that there was a, a gap in the market for a specialist uh, consultancy that was really focus on not only the deployment, but also the, the leverage and the maximization and utilization of data technology. So whether that was a DMP or a CDP or a marketing automation platform or any other market uh, tool. Uh, and that's really how the company started. So we, we started from a very small team of, of a few people in, in EMEA, in London, um, to being where we are today, which um, is a company with 60 people. We have offices in, in um, in four offices uh, across Europe and, and Australia, uh, and and we really expanded our uh, the, the range of services and products that we provide to, to customers too. So we we have our business is divided in in three core pillars. So we have the, the services pillar, uh, data services pillar, where we have all our experts uh, on data technology platforms and marketing technology, whether that's from the technical side and the strategic side, uh, and within that team, we help organizations both on the buy and the sell side, so marketers and publishers, to um, select the right, understand what the business goals are, uh, sort of define the, the digital sort of um, ambitions you know, and the digital infrastructure that is needed to, to meet those goals and then select the right technology to, to meet those goals. And then we, we work throughout the implementations and the, the launch and the, and the strategic services around leveraging those platforms and ultimately generating ROI, which is the most important thing. Uh, and then we have our, our activation pillar. So we have uh, various teams of um, uh, there are experts around activation across state media and direct marketing, uh, leveraging existing technology as well as some proprietary tools that we developed to, to sort of be more efficient around our activation. Uh, and then there is the, the third and one of the most 
and not nevertheless the most exciting pillar, which is our product pillar, which we can talk about later a bit more. Uh, and basically, um, in this in this area of the business, we we have a team of developers and strategists and data science uh, and data scientists uh, that build, uh, that develop, build, and launch products that are born from the feedback that we gather from from our clients on the on the consultancy side. Uh, so, and the products that we build are really focused on addressing specific gaps in the market and challenges that our clients have. Um, so, in a nutshell, we are a services and, and products company, uh, which is sort of future-facing, helping organizations navigate into a lot of industry changes that are happening at the moment. Wow. So, a lot of capabilities. There, Silver Bullet's a great partner. We're happy to be a partner here at Chi Digital, and we're excited when you bring our platform and our capabilities to your clients. But I want to dig into something where you guys are, are kind of experts. The sea of confusion, I'm going to use sea of confusion around CDPs, right? There's CDPs, there's DMPs, we've got an EDP, like there's all these Ps, platforms. Um, can you kind of break down your perspective on that sea of confusion around CDPs and what they really mean and like what marketers who might be investigating that kind of realm should really be considering? You know, not just, oh, we need a CDP, but no, what you should actually be doing is getting some capabilities that might be a CDP or this and that. But what's your point of view when it comes to that sea of confusion? And, and, all these and I would add, you know, be interesting to see the sea of confusion, not just about CDPs, but also CDPs and DMPs yeah, and yeah. the interplay between those different technologies. Yeah. So, yeah, solve the world for us. Yeah, help us help us uh, get rid of some confusion for, for our viewers. Yeah, I, I will try to share my, my, my point of view on this. But so I think that definitely there is a lot of confusion in the market across marketers and publishers and, and tech vendors as well. And there was already confusion when it was much simpler, when we only had DMPs uh, just under three, four years ago. Well, CDPs have been around for longer, but let's say they until probably three, four years ago, the core focus was still on the DMP. Um, and even there, actually, marketers were, were struggling to sort of to, to, to position the DMP product in, the, in their marketing stack and in some cases to leverage um, ROI from the platform. Um, and then obviously CDPs uh, came and became very trending and now for a number of different reasons which we can discuss, a lot of different clients, a lot of different marketers are moving into the CDP space. Uh, and it's even more confusing because whereas the DMP ecosystem was somehow consolidated over the last probably 10 five to 10 years. Um, the CDP space is really not consolidated at all. So there are probably dozens or almost hundreds of CDP players in the market. So uh, marketers are really struggling. But what I would say is that given the sort of the, what's happening in the industry, what's, what's what has been happening in the industry for the last two, three years in regards to GDPR being deployed, uh, CCPA in California, and many similar regulations around the states and uh, and, and other countries following uh, sort of the GDPR route. Obviously, um, so uh, restrictions around third-party cookies and effectively the demise of the third-party cookie meant that uh, the role of the DMP, the data management platform, in the client's marketing stock. Uh, in, in the marketer's marketing stock, um, has really been challenged for, for a couple of different reasons. First of all, I would say the, the, the main infrastructure of data management platform is built on the third-party cookie. So the, the main premise was to start from a third-party cookie as the main identifier, 
and then take other cookies from around the web, from different activation platforms and data partners, and then stitch all those cookies together to a main cookie. Um, and then the second sort of uh, foundational element of the, cloud, the traditional data management platform was really the uh, amplification of a first-party data seed with cookie-based third-party data. Uh, and we all know what sort of where third-party, third the anonymous cookie-based third-party data ecosystem and industry is heading to, uh, given all the restrictions that we have. Uh, especially, I would say, outside of the US, where numbers and volumes of third-party data were always very, very, very small. Um, so for these reasons, marketers increasingly moved focus from the data management platform to the customer data platform. Um, and this is actually something that we saw firsthand with the clients that we worked on. So I would say only three years ago, um, 80% of the sort of marketing, so implementation, data technology implementation projects that we were working on uh, within our consultancy um, service layer uh, was focused on implementing data management platform. And that paradigm, paradigm has completely shifted now to the CDP. Um, so the vast majority of implementations around specifically data management technology uh, that we work on, uh, as well as assessment and, and vendor analysis and things like that, it's really focused on the customer data platform. And, and the main difference with the customer data platform is that while many, there are many features and many um, sort of uh, tools and, and within those platforms that are overlapping with, with the DMP in terms of segmenting data, activating data into various channels um, are similar and overlapping with the DMP. Um, the CDP is primarily focused and built around first party data. So while some of the DMP use cases around activating audiences in paid media can still be facilitated, the CDP, the customer data platform, is really focused uh, on uh, creating first-party data-based profiles um, and then enrich those first-party data profiles with as many different identifiers, both known and unknown, uh, that can be collected through different touch points by, by organizations. And then having profiles that are rich enough to be able to be activated across not only paid media channels, uh, but also direct marketing, on-site personalization, um, be used as a sort of a, as a sec, as a as an audience engine that can also be uh, leveraged into BI uh, tools rather than um, customer service tools uh, and many other different applications that a business, not only the marketing function within a business, but also other functions might, might leverage. Uh, so actually the promise of the CDP, it's probably a lot bigger and the scope is a lot bigger of the DMP, which is very much advertising focused. That said, I would say that vast majority of organizations are still leveraging the CDP for marketing use cases only and specifically in some cases for paid media use cases only, across social and, and programmatic, for instance. Um, but that's just, I think, a sign of a sort of a maturity curve. Obviously, uh, it, programmatic and paid social are usually short, sort of low-hanging fruit and, and quite easy to activate uh, use cases for, for, for a CDP. But the, the ambition of all marketers that do invest in a CDP should be to then create uh, consumer journeys and connect those consumer journeys across many different touch points beyond paid media.
Yeah, it's it's a, it's a really good uh, uh, point actually, and and you know as you were kind of talking uh, through that and and looking at the differences between CDPs and DMPs and the the change that's happened over the last few years, um, we've obviously seen a, a a very very fast and aggressive move around privacy over the last couple of years, which has obviously uh, contributed to the, uh, the the rapid decline of the third party. Uh, cookie, you know, your Apple's IDFA. There's a whole bunch of different privacy moves that are, are changing the sort of fundamental way that marketers have to to operate and think about uh, their strategy. Not just marketers; I mean, companies have yeah, to think about everything. their their strategies uh, moving forward. So, my question is, is 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 really kind of when you go see a client, you know, and you're seeing somebody for the first time. What are your what are your you know top t- tips for you know telling them about how they should be thinking about evolving their their data strategies obviously implementing a cdp is one but could you could you give us a a very high level view of kind of what those what those tips would be um yeah sure so i think obviously it really depends on on which clients we speak to so uh, marketers across different verticals would have uh, a different approach to the data strategy based on the number of touch points that they have with their consumers um, mm-hmm. To give an example of a vertical that I'm really focused on, which is CPG vertical, uh, and the CPG, the, the CPG industry from a marketing perspective is going through a monumental shift in in the way that they sort of they think about their marketing and and, and they run their marketing and advertising campaign. Uh, so while historically these sort of companies would be heavily reliant on on third party data. And, uh, and wall gardens, which they still are, of course. But uh, with the sort of with third-party data and, and third-party cookies phasing out, there is a major focus on, on first-party data. And usually, uh, for these sort of organizations, our core recommendation starts from the necessity of building a strong um, first-party data foundation. Um, and the reason for that, it's not so much to get to the point where you would just have one-to-one communication with all the people that consume your products, because obviously that's unrealistic. As a, as a CPG, uh, for instance, a uh, vast majority of, of your products will be sold offline, so it would be very hard to have a one-to-one conversation with, with everyone, uh, in the same way that, for instance, a, a finance organization or a travel organization might be able to do. Um, but, either way, but regardless, the building a robust first-party data strategy based on persistent IDs. So ideally starting from an email as the as the golden record, as the golden ID that you use to start building a profile from. Uh, it's actually, so building that kind of data database that you can then enrich with um, interesting attributes and, and declared information uh, or inferred attributes as well, depending on which type of data enrichment um, initiative you you run. Um, so having a robust first-party database ha- provides the ability to these companies to generate insights that are much more accurate uh, than the insights that you'd be able to generate from a traditional panel or, a, or an offline survey, for instance, which is how things were sort of managed uh, recently. And not only you can generate better insights. So the more first-party data you have, you can generate them better insights. Those insights can then be used for um, things like predictive modeling, um, um, 
creating seed audience that can seed audiences that can then actually be used to um, leverage the wall gardens capability uh, a little bit smarter. For instance, no one can deny that investing in the big wall gardens such as Facebook and Google and Amazon now as well, it's uh, it's a very important tactic for most companies because the data, well, first of all, the eyeball, that's where the eyeballs are, but also there are very rich deterministic data that can be used to enrich your own first party data. So the best way to actually leverage those wall gardens platform is to have enough of your own first-party data, which you can then combine with the with the data from the World Gardens to, to really optimize and maximize performance from the activity that you would run there. Uh, but not only that, actually, by by building a robust first-party first party data set, you can also add more channels to your mix uh, as a CPG, for instance, including email marketing, uh, and really focusing on creating as many one-to-one -one communication as you can. Um, to, to providing a value exchange, uh, which is very important as well. Uh, and then that will result in you having even more first-party data, which you can then use to generate more insights. And, and this sort of creates uh, a virtuous cycle uh, that ultimately is going to uh, improve the performance of your campaigns and the efficiency of your campaigns uh, on an ongoing basis. So I'm going to, I'm going to ask you, I'm going to put you on the spot here and ask you about where the rubber meets the road, right? We agree with you. You need more first party data. I don't care if you're CPG, travel, insurance, hospitality, it doesn't matter. First party data is going to be the data that's secure moving forward with the cookie crumbling, IDFA, just who else knows what's coming and crumbling from that third party data perspective. And we at Cheetah have Cheetah experiences where dozens and dozens of different ways you can interact, consumer-facing digital experiences, watch and win, sweepstakes, surveys, photo contests, all these kind of things that were usually associated with social, but now they can be used anywhere. So I guess my question to you, do you have any ideas, examples, or have you seen anything interesting where a CPG brand, whether that's a potato chip or you know something off the shelf at your local grocer, how are they getting first-party data? Like, how are they literally getting and building this data? Forget the CDP and the DMP and everywhere they're going to put it. Have you seen any interesting trends on how CPGs are actually going and getting that declared data from consumers? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I think there are um, probably two key macro initiatives or areas that most CPGs are focusing on. Uh, we, with the purpose of generating declared first-party data. So definitely the first one is e-commerce. So even though, uh, as we said before, e-commerce is always going to be sort of a, a, a fraction of, oh, not always, but at least for the for the foreseeable future, it's going to be a fraction of the total revenue of a, of a potential CPG brand. Mm -hmm. um, the data that you can generate through an e-commerce pilot or platform are incredibly valuable because that's true purchase data uh, that you can then use to create very robust seed audiences, uh, which you can use for insights, modeling, activation, custom audiences, and email marketing in a number of different use cases. Well, and, and, and not, not to put in there, but even like e-com, you know, so, some brands can't do it, right? Because they have uh, relationships with the retailer. Let's say it's like the TV world. It's like, can't go direct, otherwise we're going to kill you. Um, so, so the e-com is definitely there. And not only that, you get 100% margin on your revenue, right? You cut out, you cut out the retailer. So yeah, that's a, that's a really important channel if you have the ability uh, to actually go with it. So I agree with that. What's your other idea? Yeah, so yeah, I think all CPGs should definitely invest in some sort of form of e-commerce pilot, sort of trying to have at least a few 
sort of D2C brands within their portfolio that they can experiment with and, and collect data from. The second point is really around the value exchange. So, and that, this I think is one of the sort of most crucial and pivotal uh, tactics that PPG brands can deploy to, to generate and collect and generate first party data, which they can then use um, sort of throughout the journey and in their campaigns. And this really sort of boils down to making sure that you have interesting, either con so interesting content, maybe leveraging existing sponsorships that you might have with, uh, with different event partners or uh, retail part sponsorships and, and generating cool content that actually can, your, your consumers can engage with. Uh, and at the same time, making sure that you have the right mechanics in place, value exchange mechanics in place, uh, to actually lure your consumers into um, giving you their data because actually you're giving something back to them which is very valuable. Um, so this could be in some cases a promotion or a sweepstake or in some other cases could be a discount to um, or, a or a discount to a specific product or a merchandise that you might love. Um, or it might be, for instance, um, the generation of a very cool um, um, sort of um, Activity for them. So, yeah. uh, or if you if you sponsor, if you maybe partner with uh, with a big event, uh, you might provide free tickets to the event, and that's obviously very valuable for, for a consumer, uh, and they're more than willing to, to give access uh, to give their data to you. Um, so, overall, I would say having a very strong value exchange mechanics, whether through promotion or maybe gamification. Uh, it's the it's the best vehicle for uh, for a CPG organization to, to collect uh, valuable declared first party data or zero zero party data. Agreed, Richard. You're, you've been doing this forever. Yeah, I, I definitely have been doing this for uh, forever. The value exchange mechanics and collecting uh, collecting gazillions of uh, of data records, zero party data records from uh, from consumers. Um, it's, it's interesting. We just we just filmed a thinking caps with the chief D data scientist uh, at Aviva um, Insurance Company, obviously a big multinational uh, organization, and we were really talking about you know that sort of interplay between data that you can collect directly from people, and obviously the traditional format in in insurance is. is has not been zero party data experiences, typically been consumer research, yeah. focus groups and stuff, obviously things that we can do in many different ways with the value exchange now. Um, but he was also talking obviously about the importance of augmenting that kind of data with the observed data. You know, anywhere yeah. where you can observe how people behave, you can bring that in, analyze it, look for segmentation, do machine learning, AI, all the rest of it, um, the, the better. So, uh, you know, I'd be interested in sort of thinking about your your sort of view on, on that balance between data that you're collecting from consumers and CPG obviously having to do a lot because they didn't have any real data of, of volume. They are different from other industries. You know, they, they, they I mean, I, I think I've told this before on Thinking Caps, but I, I did meet a very senior person from Unilever a, a number of years ago. They're a customer of ours now and a great client. So this is old, old day, old, old info. <laughs> but, you know, I met this very senior person and they were like, I don't need to know who my customers are. You know, I can get hyper-personalized content at scale through Facebook and a coterie of different third-party data providers. Why do I need to need, why do I need to collect data on consumers, right? And I remember walking away from that meeting thinking, the laws of gravity here are yeah. on, 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 <laughs> a little skewed. Yeah, a little <laughs> skewed on, on what I thought was sensible best practice. And I think on privacy, as many ways, is just 
has just brought people back to sensible yeah. marketing rules, you know, permission-based marketing, the rest of it. So just, just it'd be interesting your comment on that and how you help navigate customers through the, the collecting of the data and then, you know, the analyzing and the observing of the data through a variety of different channels. Yeah, 100%. So basically, yeah, I guess we need to the, sort of make a distinction between the data collection piece. Obviously, the first point is the first step into the data journey is make sure that you collect the right data. And in this case, uh, let's assume that we do that through, through promotional activity. Uh, and then through a promotional campaign or promotional activity, we will be able to collect uh, a bunch of email addresses, for instance, and then specific information that we might uh, be able to, to ask within, within a form or a, or, um, or a promotion. What we then need to do is to enrich that data. So that's what you were talking about around the, the, the observation of the, the existing data that you have. Because especially in the, in the example of CPG, the amount of first party data, not only the amount of first party data that they'd be able to collect is probably small um, compared to other verticals, but also actually the depth uh, of the, the data, that the attributes that they would be able to have on a, of any given user, um, it's also quite limited. So what's really important to do is then to go through a, a data enrichment process, uh, which can be done in a number of different ways. So first of all, by leveraging a CDP, for instance, or a, or a similar platform, you can you can start building up a profile by stitching up different um, touch points attached to the same consumer. So you might start from a form or a competition, but then maybe you also run a campaign, a media campaign, and you see that user off site and you track that campaign engagement and attach that campaign engagement to the profile. Maybe you see the same user after a few weeks on your e-com platform and then you're able to collect all those data as well. So even just by collecting more and more first party data over time, you really need to profile just with first party data. Um, there is then the uh, the sort of the enrichment through external data Sets, for instance, so you, you, we have uh, we have clients that work with um, data providers, so deterministic data providers. So I'm not talking about sort of cookie-based data, but actually providers that have email-based verified data sets with a bunch of different attributes uh, depending on the on the on the specialty, which we could also we can also then use to enrich the existing first-party data uh, base uh, of our clients. So we are adding dimension and depth um, to, to, the, to the first party data set that we have. Um, and then obviously there is the there is a data science piece and the, the and the sort of advanced analytics. So this is basically leveraging um, data science and machine learning and, and interesting and specific applications within machine learning to mine the existing first party data, see looking at all the different attributes that are available and then generate new uh, attributes that can be generated, for instance, through um, clustering, so segmentation, or maybe a score that could be attached, a propensity score that could be attached to that those specific profile to, to enrich your data, your first-party data even further. Um, so definitely data science is, is, is it's a very interesting um, tactic and, and strategy that CPG brands should, and as well as other verticals should, should look to deploy in order to reach the first data set. Um, obviously, it's something that 
marketers will tend to go when they're, they're when they're a little bit more mature into their data journey. So it's not kind of tactical strategy on day one, uh, but definitely something that can unlock a lot of value. To give you a practical example of how this can work in a really good way, so um, we work with a partner um, that actually provides uh, sort of social login functionality. Uh, so when we would run uh, content uh, and promotional campaigns for, uh, for our clients, we would then also be able to, through the social login function, not only to collect the email address, uh, but then to basically, through the social login, connect via API with, um, with, the, world, with the social media um, uh, platform that is used for, the, for that specific login button and get access to all the raw data from that are publicly available from that user profile, and then use machine learning to create real-time scores and segments and attributes that are then ingested in the client CDP and can be used as attributes for, uh, for segmentation. So starting by just first-party data and combining that in a smart way with social media data, for instance, we're able to build a much richer profile by observing um, additional data sets. Uh, data sets, which eventually which leads to uh, a lot more flexibility and granularity in the type of audiences that we can that we can build and activate. That's interesting because that, that's the that was the you just answered the next question that yeah. I was going to ask you, which yeah. was like, how you are know, you? Yeah, bringing this through back this this yeah. data that you're collecting, the first party data, and then um, uh, you know bringing that to the wall gardens and, and and how you're driving value out of that. So maybe maybe I'll just tweak the question a little bit and just go. Do you think, you know, do you have any ideas or thoughts or, or, or predictions on how that kind of relationship between major brands and uh, the, the wall gardens is going to change? Do you think the wall gardens are going to make it easier for people to bring their data, to get value from their data and mix it with the wall gardens? Or do you think things are going to get tighter because of privacy? Where do, you, where do you think this is all going? I would say... Bringing data to the World Gardens is definitely not a problem. Actually, like World Gardens, they're very happy to to take your first party data to to allow you to bring your first party data. Um, so I think as that, long as you're bringing your not, checkbook with you, hundred <laughs> percent. Yeah, checkbook first of all, and then checkbook first. Data. Okay, but check. Like, <laughs> but if you consider, like, obviously the big one of the biggest World Gardens, Facebook, they've had they've enabled custom audiences for uh, for ages. So client organizations are able to either bring their online first party data or their offline first party data or whatever kind of first party data set they have, they can bring it, upload it, and then they create a custom audience within the Facebook ecosystem. So that includes Instagram um, um, and the, the Facebook audience network in some cases. Uh, and then you can either do remarketing on that audience or you can use it as a seed audience for lookalike modeling. Uh, and Google have a similar product. It's called Google Customer Match which is now also be, is basically integrated across all the uh, sort of um, um, user interfaces for, 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 um, for marketing. Um, and you can do exactly the same thing. You can bring your, your first party data, upload it, create a custom audience, match it with Google IDs, and do the same thing. Amazon, uh, very similar product, Snapchat. They're all kind of going into the same direction, which is giving you the chance to bring your first party data to do better, smarter, more efficient marketing. And I think that trend is only going to grow over time. Not only that, but actually now the interesting thing is that there are technology platforms that are allowing you to do the same or similar thing that you would be able to do with the World Gardens, but with publishers. 
So yeah. basically providing uh, an intermediary piece of technology that you can use to anonymously and, 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 and safely match your first party data with the publisher first party data and basically recreate what is a custom audience in Facebook, but on a, on a publisher network. So that's yeah. only going to increase. I yeah. would say the challenge with World Gardens is to take data out. So yeah. it's, it's already almost impossible to get any data, whether that's campaign data or the specific World Garden data, out of the World Gardens. I think that's only going to get harder. However, all the World Gardens, or at least the major World Gardens, are providing some version of a, of a clean data room. Uh, for instance, Google Data Google Ads Data Hub is an example of that, where you're essentially able to, to bring your first-party data and analyze performance of your campaigns against a specific first-party data set uh, and, and you know, generate insight within a safe space, but not at aggregated level rather than a user level. Uh, with the caveat, then you will then not be able to export your enriched yep. first-party data set, but you only get the insights that you can then apply uh, from a strategic perspective across your your marketing. So I it's, think, yeah. No, sorry, not to cut you off, but yeah, I mean those those wall gardens. Yeah, they'll give you the clean room. It's like the foyer of the castle, but then if you wanted to bring it out, it's like a moat of fire that is a thousand feet tall that says no. It stays here. Bring more of yours to us. Um, it is what it is, right? But and, and it's interesting because you know we're we're talking about third party cookie dying and like IDFA and you know device tracking. It's just shifting. It's shifting it's somewhere so else. It's, but, you know, I think, and we're almost at time here. I think we, we all agree, and we've heard it loud and clear. You know, Mark Pritchard, we quote all the time, said it in 2019. Collect your own first-party data. Have a relationship with your, direct, you know, with your customers, whether you're CPG or anything else. Get that golden record, as you mentioned. Maybe that's the email. Maybe that's the mobile and think about think about loyalty and the importance of that for collecting data oh, as well. Oh yeah, you know, for first and, you know, the, the value exchange. And by the way, if if you want to dig into this stuff, we have um, amazing zero party data playbook on our website where you can download all of that. We have tons of examples from Vodafone and Discovery Networks and and Air New Zealand and Kiwi Bang and all these great different industries on how they're collecting it, how they're using it, how they're messaging directly, and even back like even Botech, who where I came from, they were getting an over six time increase in engagement when you said, you know, you, we brought our own email addresses to Google Match. You know, persona A, persona B, persona all the way through Z, when we brought them back and had hyper-relevant creative ads, Gmail ads, YouTube ads that spoke directly to what we knew about the customer, our money went six times farther than using Google's, you know, inherent targeting tools. So the, the writing's on the wall. It's been there for a while. Collect your own first-party data. Get a CDP. Get a DMP. Get an EP. Get a, you know... Don't get an STD, but, you know, use your data and and take it to the wall gardens and be effective. That's that's my close. You guys can close the show. Yeah, yeah. and I would say also, yeah, no, I would just say that sort of beyond first party data is crucial, not only to be able to access to multiple touch points, but also to use the wall gardens more efficiently and smartly. But actually... Uh, there is definitely a future for, regardless of the, the third-party cookie data demise, there is definitely a role for first-party data to play in the open oh, yeah. um, programmatic ecosystem as well. Yes. Uh, to give you a very practical, quick example, uh, we recently built and launched a platform called 4D, uh, which is a contextual intelligence platform. Uh, and aside from sort of the usual use cases of contextual around 
contextual, uh, advanced contextual targeting and brand safety, what we are giving the chance, what we build basically give the chance to marketers to bring their own first party data, analyze the offsite behavior of the sort of the, the, the content that the users within those first party data segments uh, consume. And then based on that, we can generate contextual insights um, and then build con relevant context, uh, basically creating what we would call a sort of the alternative to cookie-based lookalike modeling, uh, but from a contextual uh, lookalike modeling perspective. Um, so I would say combination of robust first-party data set using smart, um, using more gardens as efficient as possible, and focusing on the power of the context and the content uh, is definitely a winning recipe for, for CPG marketers, but any other marketer really. Boom, mic drop. Boom, yeah, mic I, drop right I, there. I, I, was, I, I was wanting to close out. I've been, I've been waiting for, to do this for, for 20 minutes now, which is, uh, you know, if you're, if you're a marketer and you're, you're trying to figure out how to navigate the cookie-less future, right, <laughs> and you're looking for a silver bullet. Um, oh, ching. boom, <laughs> nailed it. <laughs> yeah, Ooh. you know the 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 clear silver bullet here is a combination of cheetah digitals, technology, and oh, silver silver man. silver bullets, products and services. There you go. Oh, match made yeah. in heaven. <laughs> Excellent. Well, thank um, you very much, Andrew. I really appreciate yeah. you coming on to Thinking Caps. Yeah, thank that you, was guys. great, Thanks man. For inviting me. Yeah, we're, we're going to be talking. We're going to have you back. We're going to talk about our client successes together. But this was a great kickoff, you know, of, of a true partnership between Cheetah Digital and Silver Bullets. Uh, we really appreciate you taking the time. Thank you. Likewise, it was great to, to spend time with you and to be invited. Take care. Awesome. Thanks, guys. <laughs>